Before we get into the issue, I just wanted to let you guys know that this is the free version of the podcast, and all that means is that this is far behind where I'm at in the Patreon version. So if you're liking this and you need more John Constantine, you can't get enough. Be sure to go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up for the Hellblazer tier, which gives you access to the entire Hellblazer library that I've done so far, and a new Hellblazer podcast every week. And you'll also get the exclusives from our main Planes, Trains, and Comic Books podcast. So if any of that interests you, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word. And with that, let's get into the issue. Today, we are reading Hellblazer number 19. And before we get started, just a little recap of what's been going on in the last couple issues. John Constantine is at war with a company named Geotronics. The reason he is at war with this company, Geotronics, is because they have made a weapon called the Fear Machine that takes magical energies from the Earth, and when directed by a strong psychic, they can actually use and direct those energies at specific places or people, and specifically it uses the emotion of fear, so the people being attacked either die of fright or kill people around them, or if it's a large group of people, all of them will turn on one another and kill each other. So not that that's not bad enough, but John isn't after them just for that reason, They have kidnapped a girl who's a friend of his. Her name is Mercury. Her and her mom, Marge, are new friends to Constantine. And so he promises Marge he's going to go save her and take down this company. And we left off with Constantine finding a journalist who has dug up information on Geotronics. And what he dug up involves murders and government corruption and also a lot of suicides that have been happening extremely frequently and involving scientists that have been working on this machine and for this company. And that's where this issue starts. But first things first, we got the cover here. In the background, it looks like there is the psychiatric ward kind of looming over everybody. And there's kind of like a creepy green haze color on that. And then in the foreground, we see a man who we don't recognize, but there's words surrounding him that say, I am a broken man. I am a broken man. I want your money. And then in the bottom left corner, we see Constantine, who is surrounded by smoke as always, because he's always smoking. And he still has his new badass clothes on. And there is someone with him who looks kind of scared, but John is there to protect them. And we see that the issue is written by Jamie Delano, the art is by Mark Buckingham, and the inker is Alfredo Alcala. And on the first page, we see that this is part six of Fear Machine, and it is called The Broken Man. And we start with a panel from outside of the hotel that John was in in the last issue, and someone is running out the front door, and he goes past a homeless person that we haven't seen previously, but this homeless person is in future parts of this issue. And as the man runs away, we hear a scream coming from the second floor window. And then we cut to an interior room of the hotel where the owners of the hotel are being awoken by that scream. And they go to check it out. And what they find is a very funny scene. As they open the door to the journalist's room, they see John kind of on the man's back after he got him out of the closet, I guess. The last issue ended with John finding this journalist all tied up and hanging from the 
clothing rack in the closet and he had a plastic bag over his head so when they walk in john is like on the dude's back he has freed his legs at least but john is like pulling on the bag so it looks like they're doing some kind of weird kinky sex thing or something and that's what the owners say they're like oh my god what are you doing to him it's disgusting and it's kind of funny because it seems like maybe they're, they're conservative ish but they're a gay couple in the 80s so it's kind of funny that they would be like what the hell are you doing to that man but the even more fucked up thing is that John's like, well, are you going to just stand there? Are you going to help me? He's not breathing and he needs an ambulance. You better call one. And the couple kind of has to deliberate whether they want to call an ambulance because they're like, well, we don't want that to get into the news that our hotel had some weird thing happen where rumors could probably get started that there was some weird sex thing going on. But then John is like, well, what do you think is going to happen when the news finds out that there was a dead person tied up in your hotel? And that convinces them to help, of course, because they don't want that. So they end up helping, and it turns out that the man is able to breathe after a second, and he tells them that he does not need an ambulance, he just needs to take a minute to calm down. So John kicks the hotel owners out of there, and once he has a second to breathe, he kind of has another a panic attack or something like that, and he kind of freaks out in front of Constantine saying, insane, totally insane, I've upset some powerful people in the past, been slandered by the right-wing press, bugged and burgled, harassed by the special branch, but no one ever tried to kill me before. And John just casually says, yeah, these are serious times, mate. It's all coming apart, isn't it? And then the guy realizes, wait a second, you saved my life and I don't even know your name. My name's Simon. And then John introduces himself and they shake hands. And it's kind of interesting when they do touch hands because it seems like the panel kind of lingers on the way that they're holding hands. And I think it's supposed to be kind of showing that the man is scared and doesn't want to leave someone because in the next page, we see that John had to hold Simon's hand so that his nerves would calm down and he would be able to go to sleep. But before that, John did get some questions answered by Simon. Apparently, Simon told him that Geotronics is a subcontractor supposedly working on tracking systems for nuclear submarines utilizing the planet's electromagnetic landscape like dolphins do, but they're talking about ley lines. So he's saying, oh, I could see how that, that would link up with ley lines and how that would work. And then John narrates that Simon got onto them because their scientists kept turning up as grotesque suicides. Are they being killed to keep a secret or is the job getting to them? And then John begins to look out the window and into the rainy night sky and he kind of starts theorizing to himself. He says, suspect it's some sort of bloody weapon system, probably the thing that they hit the train with. That explained the Russian interest. Then there's the gangster police, the black squad. I've already tied them to Geotronics by the attack on the train. It was the Black Squad who snatched Mercury, and Geotronics is using psychic energy. It fits together. They must have her. But who's running the show? Inspector Talbot said the Black Squad were recruited from regular police. That points to the state being behind it. But the Freemasons blocked his investigation. So maybe it's a state within a state. And the whole time he's talking, he's using the condensation on the window to kind of write this all out to himself. <laughs> And then at the end of that, he kind of wipes it off and he says, conspiracy theories, Ugh. they send you around the twist. And as he wipes away the condensation, we see the homeless man outside saying, I'm a broken man over and over and over. Then we cut to the Geotronics facility where Mercury is being held and we see that she is no longer cooperating with Dr. Fulton. In the last issue, it seemed like she was having fun or at least 
excited about being able to use her powers to help people and remove the fear from them, from the the scaredy, she called them, which are like uh, mentally ill patients that are also being held in this facility. But something has happened since then, and she is arguing with Dr. Fulton in the middle of the fake Stonehenge power circle that they have set up, and she's yelling at him, no, I won't. You lied. I hate you. It's horrible. It's terrible. You're doing something awful and I don't want to help you anymore. So she runs and sits down under the arch in the middle of the power circle and she says, I'm going on strike and just so you can't get me, I'm going right back inside and if you touch my body while I'm gone, I'll let the terror thing out of the trap. So while she begins to use the machine, Dr. Fulton walks away and just kind of lets her do her thing. And he walks back up to his office and thinks to himself, why? What's provoked this sudden rebellion? Without Mercury, phase two of the fear machine will be a non-starter. He'd thought that all his careful work had paid off, that she'd begin to trust him. Somehow, he's got to win her back, find out what's wrong, and put it right. She'd been fine when she'd started this morning's program. Something had happened while she was out of her body in the system. He'll have to review the tapes. And then he reaches for some tapes that I guess are like the recordings of her mind waves while she's working in the fear machine. And he also picks up some tranquilizers that he has on his desk. And the narration says, but before he can press the buttons, he needs another trank to stop his hands from shaking. Must be working too hard. That's what Siskin had said. And up until this point, we haven't heard the name Siskin before, but on the next page, we find out who he is. Basically, Siskin was the psychic that Geotronics had using the machine before Mercury was taken. And earlier in the day when Mercury was using the machine, she actually found him inside the fear machine. Like it had taken his consciousness out of his body. It sucked him out and trapped him within the fear machine's conglomerations of all the fears that Mercury has been collecting. And as her mind floats around in the fear machine, the narration says, Mercury can't bear to think about what happened to him. They never even told her that he existed. She'd never have helped them if she'd known. She's been so stupid. She let Fulton trick her got carried away with all the fantastic things he'd shown her. And she goes on to describe that earlier in the day, she was taking the fears out of a little boy named Matthew Riley, and he was scared of the concept of cancer. He didn't know exactly what it was, but he knew that his mom had died of it. And to him, it was like an actual like amorphous blob of death that was creeping through his window in his dreams and stuff. So she took that away from him and was putting it into the fear machine. And ever since she's been getting these fears out of people, it seems to get easier and easier to put the fears into the fear machine. Apparently, it used to be a harder thing that she had to kind of force the fears into this machine. But now the narration says, these days, it didn't seem nearly so hard to get the terrors into the trap. It was as if once they got near it, they wanted to go in. And she was getting more and more cocky about being able to put these fears in easily and stuff. So she was like, you know what? I want to see what's inside this fear machine, like this box, this trap that I've been putting these fears in. I'm going to look into it. And when she does, she's basically staring into the physical manifestation of like fear and terror and despair and all these feelings that they've crammed into this box or trap as they call it. And as we're learning about what she saw, Dr. Fulton is reviewing the tapes at the same time. So he's looking at the brainwaves of the boy that she's taking the fear from, also her herself, and also the body of Siskin, who I guess the doctors don't know that his consciousness is trapped in the fear machine. They just know he was on a mission for them and inside the fear machine, and all of a sudden his consciousness left and he was in a coma after that. 
So they have his body on monitoring, I guess. And he's looking at the different brain activities and he sees right at this moment that she sees the fear machine and what's inside of it. She had crazy brain activity and also Siskin's comatose brain did as well. But Dr. Fulton doesn't really understand what he's seeing. He says, somehow the girl must have accessed him. What does it mean? Can she talk to them in there? So even though he controls this machine and they have this weapon of great power, he doesn't really know what it's capable of or what it's able to do. And that's probably because he's not a psychic and she is. So he can't fully understand what's going on inside the fear machine. Then we cut to Mercury's mom, Marge, who's now hanging out with the pagan nation along with all the other followers. And... They're doing a ritual where they're trying to get Mercury back to her with using magic. And this magic involves them being naked, drawing uh, different like kind of symbols and hieroglyphics and stuff all over themselves and rubbing fruit juices all over themselves. And of course, there's a lot of sex going on <laughs> as part of this ritual. So Marge and Zed have sex as part of this ritual and after the act is done, Zed says, come home, Mercury, come out of the darkness, put aside the fear, come, Mercury, come to us, come home, your mother and sisters are waiting. And she's saying that to like an effigy that they made out of like hay and has a picture of Mercury's face on it and one of her shirts. But it doesn't really seem like their magic did anything because the next page is a cut back to Mercury still describing what had happened while she was in the fear machine earlier that day. So as she's looking at this fear blob that kind of looks like Akira or something, it's definitely like an amalgamation of all these different monsters and fears and people and stuff all crammed into one being. She sees the face of Siskin come out of the blob and say, help me, let me out. This is wrong. I'm not part of this. It was an accident. The backlash caught me. I want my body, please. And the narration says, the fear is cruel and remorseless, but it must be faced, else it would catch her and destroy her as it had Siskin. Help me, he said, but he was beyond anybody's help. And then Siskin begins to warn her. He says, I must talk to them. Fulton, the director, Morgan, it's using them. Every time they exercise the terror, it grows. They're bringing it back. They've got to stop it. It's much bigger than they know. It's bigger than everything. But as Mercury's looking at this, even though she like decided to face the fear, I think she gets overwhelmed because she says, no, I can't, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she just keeps saying I'm sorry as she slowly floats backwards out of the trap where this fear is kept. And as she backs away, Siskin's consciousness that was talking to her gets pulled back inside the fear blob and becomes enveloped by it. And he yells something at her. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I'll try to say it. It's some kind of either magical incantation or something or just something that we're supposed to remember that will make sense later. So he says the words Jala Kintiliokin. And once again, I'm not sure what that means, but I'm sure it will come up later. So as he says that and gets pulled back in, Mercury's consciousness is moving farther and farther back from this fear trap. And the narration says, it's wrong. She knows it's wrong, but nobody need ever know she's done it. This nightmare must stop. It's time to go home. And then on the next page, we get a weird little interlude where apparently for the last two days, John has been talking to Morpheus from Sandman, and I guess he's been having bad dreams, so he had the Sandman take his bad dreams away from him, and his narration says, two days I've been messing about with that weirdo. Still, I suppose it's worth it to get rid of the bleeding nightmares. It'll be strange without them, though. It's nearly dawn now. 
Looks like I'll have to wait for my first night of blissful sleep. Better get back to HQ and pick up Simon. We've got a funeral to go to. So he just left Simon for two days, I guess, to get rid of nightmares that he was having. And now him and Simon are going to go to the funeral for Inspector Talbot's wife, who killed herself in the last issue. And then we cut back to Dr. Fulton, who has gone into the fear machine room now. And he's checking on Mercury because she seems catatonic at the moment. And he's worried that she will end up or did become like Siskin and end up becoming comatose. But as he gets closer to her, she all of a sudden wakes up and startles him really bad. And he asks if she's been okay and what she's been doing in there. And she says she's just been thinking and talking to Mr. Siskin. And then she explains that Siskin is trapped in the machine. But don't worry, he's all mixed up inside the terrors and he's gone mad and you won't have to worry about him again. And all of a sudden, her demeanor changes from what she was like before where they were arguing. And I think it's because she decided that she needs to go home now. So she has mentioned previously that she knows that Dr. Fulton is creepy and watches her all the time. And there's definitely been a hint that maybe he has some kind of attraction to her. And she uses this moment and this knowledge to trick him and get him to take her outside of the facility. So she goes up to him and she's like, you look tired, Dr. Fulton. You need some fresh air. I know, why don't we go for a ride in your car? And he's like, well, I don't know. And then she gives him a kiss on the cheek and says, oh, please, I'd like to. And he's like, all right, why not? And then we cut to John and Simon who are showing up to the funeral of Inspector Talbot's wife. And at first the inspector's kind of gruff with them, but eventually they talk him into walking with them as they're trying to get him to join the team and work with them to uncover this conspiracy more. And as they're walking, we see someone is following them and it is the homeless man from the beginning of the issue that was outside of the hotel that was saying, I'm a broken man, I'm a broken man over and over again. So at first he's kind of far back, but then as they keep walking, he gets closer and closer and then they go down into a subway tunnel and are waiting for a train. And while they're talking, the homeless man comes up to John and John just assumes he's going to ask for change and says, sorry, pal, I don't have any change. And then as John's about to ask the inspector another question, like mid word, the homeless man shoves his fingers inside of John's mouth with something in them and says, I don't want your money. I want your love. And then he jumps in front of the oncoming train and kills himself. And right before the train hit him, he did yell one more word. And it was the same thing that Siskin said before he got pulled back into the terrors. The homeless man yelled, Jala Kuntiliokin. And then the train hits him and John and the inspector and Simon are freaked out. They're like, what the heck? That guy just killed himself. And then John pulls something out of his mouth that the homeless man shoved in there. And it was a folded up piece of paper that says, tremble, the goag is coming. And the way GOAG is written, it's obvious that those letters stand for something, but we don't know what they mean yet. And there's also a symbol on the paper. And when Simon sees that symbol, he's like, wait a second, I've seen this symbol before. The bastard who strangled me, he wore it on his ring. And then we get a panel that is like a memory from when Simon was getting strangled. And we see the man that strangled him was this big fat guy that is about to strangle him with a rope and on his right hand on his ring finger is this round ring with this symbol on it and it's kind of hard to describe but basically it kind of looks like if you split a arrow down the middle and then the bottoms kind of curl up towards each other and now that i'm looking at it it kind of looks phallic and i'm sure that's not an accident so, so that is the end of the issue if you have any comments questions or suggestions you can email me at plain transit comic books all one word at gmail.com and we'll see you on the next one <laughs>